0: way domestic and family violence is generally spoken about, that can prevent LGBTIQ people from uh, accessing support because they might not believe support's available
1: to them. Welcome to Pride in Primary Care, a podcast for healthcare professionals about LGBTI health. I'm Dr. Reese, and my pronouns are he, him. Relationships are meant to be about having fun, being cared for, and feeling valued and safe. But sometimes that's not always the reality. One in three LGBTI people experience violence from a partner, ex-partner, or family member. Unfortunately, the research shows that LGBTI people are less likely to find support services that meet their specific needs. So when you see your patients, are you listening out for the clues? If someone told you they were experiencing abuse, would you know what to do? Well, let's get into it.
0: Uh, so my name is Ben Bjarnason. I'm the founder and managing director of the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation. Um, I'm also on the board of directors for DV Connect, which is Queensland's only 24-hour uh, domestic violence crisis service. And uh, as well as that, I'm a training facilitator for the Queensland Council for LGBTI
1: Health and a first response police officer. You're a busy man. Yeah, it keeps me busy. Well, Ben, to get us started, can you tell me a bit about what is domestic and family violence? Uh, So the definition of domestic and family
0: violence varies from state to state. um, But generally, DV is when one person behaves in a way that controls or dominates another person and um, causes them to fear for their safety or well-being so it's usually a pattern of abuse and there's controlling behavior taking many forms Um, it can be things like sexual abuse or physical abuse emotional or psychological abuse so things like stalking repeated text messaging uh, insulting comments calling people names uh, preventing them from contacting friends and family uh, controlling how they how their partner looks, um, putting them down, um, or in an LGBTIQ scenario, um, exposing to or threatening to expose their sexual orientation or gender identity. Then you've got things like economic abuse, so denying, withholding or controlling uh, money or property, threatening behaviour, so things saying things or acting in a way to make someone feel afraid of them. Threatening to commit suicide or self-harm is uh, quite a common one or stalking a person. And then coercive behaviour is another one. Uh, So forcing, intimidating or manipulating a person to do things that they don't want to do, like sign contracts over for houses or loans uh, or legal documents or giving a person uh, power over their affairs, like power of attorney and that sort of thing.
1: That's a really, really long list and I think that's so good to here, because I think sometimes, you know, even uh, um, I do it sometimes where I think the first thing that comes to mind with domestic violence is violence of a physical nature. And I think limiting the definition to just that really rules out a lot of people who might be needing help.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, that's, that's the case in uh, many instances is people sort of think about it as just physical violence, when in fact, it's so much more and um, the damage that can be caused by sort of that coercive control and uh, psychological and emotional abuse can be absolutely horrendous and really long-lasting
1: for some people. Now, you mentioned in the middle there a type of abuse specific to uh, the LGBTI community and uh, threatening to out them. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so there's many similarities for um, domestic and family violence within LGBTQ communities as well as heterosexual uh, couples. Uh, some of the unique ones are threats to out or reveal their partners, sexuality, gender identity or health status to sort of friends, family or work colleagues. Um, so, yeah, I really, it's just used as a form of control over someone. You know, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm going to tell your workplace that you're trans or I'm going to tell them that you're gay or you tell tell your family that you're gay. And um, depending on their circumstances, that can be really devastating, whether it be because of cultural reasons, religious reasons, um, when it comes to outing your sexuality or gender identity to family, or in the workplace, if they're uh, trans, but people aren't aware they're trans, to know people like for them to be outed to their colleagues or family and that sort of thing can be pretty devastating. Um, And then when it comes to health status, uh, something that can be seen a bit is um, revealing a person's HIV status um, within their workplace
1: or school or university and that sort of thing and using that as a method of control. I can uh, imagine there's a lot of people out there in the LGBTI community who might be uh, experiencing this. That sounds terrifying to want to keep that quiet if if that's their um, uh, choice and to have that threat above their head. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's that's probably the main one uh, that we come across,
0: but uh, a few others are like pressure to conform to certain gender or sexuality uh, stereotypes, um, ridiculing the other person's expression of sexuality or gender, so sort of things like, um, you know, you're not manly enough or you're too feminine or you're too butch or you're not a real man or you're not a real woman and that sort of thing, and abuse around that. Isolation from LGBTQ friends, venues or events. So that can be obviously quite devastating, taking people away from their own tribe and isolating them. There's cases where people will go through their Facebook friends lists um, and tell them that they've got to delete every LGBTIQ person off the friends list and really isolating them that way um, so that they don't have any contact with their own communities. Um, and another one's controlling medications um, or other treatments, so like um, HIV medications or hormone therapy, which um, can be very detrimental. Uh, and then from the other side as well there's cases where people who might be um, HIV positive uh, who are the perpetrator might say, you know, if you don't do this, then I will stop taking my medication, I'll get sick, and if I get sick, it's going to be your fault. So that's that's really a couple of the... Um, ones that are uh, really unique to LGBTIQ
1: communities. I think it's really uh, great to hear all of those because uh, just like in that sort of first list um, uh, that you you mentioned, it makes us stop and think a little bit harder, you know. This isn't something that we should just ignore and go, oh, yes, uh, uh, you're not a victim of physical violence, so um, you must be going fine. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot more under the surface that we should be aware of. Yeah, definitely. I want to look at what challenges the LGBTIQ community might face in seeking support.
0: Yeah, so um, when we look at domestic violence, um, the majority of the time, the images, the campaigns um, and the way services advertise themselves, it's all about um, supporting women who have been victims of domestic violence from men uh, perpetrating the violence. So because of the way domestic and family violence is generally spoken about, that can prevent LGBTIQ people from uh, accessing support because they might not believe support's available to them because, uh, yeah, really when you see all those advertising campaigns and that sort of stuff, they don't see themselves in that picture Um and as a result, they might not think that they can be a victim. They might not think that they can be a perpetrator. And uh, even if they do recognize it might be domestic violence, they might not think that services are available for them because they just don't see themselves in those sort of campaigns. There can be fears that they won't be taken seriously or believed, or they won't be treated appropriately or respectfully. And I guess some of that can be specific to different communities. So, I guess like the trans community. Um, You know, if they come and say, I've been experiencing domestic violence, are they going to be asked inappropriate questions? Are they going to have their dead name used? Um, If it's someone in the same sex relationship, are they going to, uh, you know, have someone say, you're the, you know, you two are the same size, you're the same sex, you know, you're equal, so therefore you can't be in an abusive relationship kind of thing? Another one is fear that their sexuality or gender identity will be exposed to their family, friends, workplace. Uh, if they are to go to um, seek assistance. And this is more prevalent, uh, especially in regional areas where everyone knows everyone um, in a lot of cases. So that's one thing to be aware of, I think, I guess, for people in regional areas. Another one would be believing that services won't be able to look past sex, sexuality or gender identity and just see them as the victim that they are. And um, along with that, I guess probably one of the biggest things we see is people feeling embarrassed or ashamed or scared um, of attending services. There's definitely a lot of shame um, generally around domestic violence and being um, a victim, but especially when it comes to LGBTIQ, DV, there's yeah, a real sense of shame
1: about being in an abusive relationship. Everything that you just said then really almost made me feel a bit sick in the stomach because I think uh, we put a lot of pressure on our LGBTI patients almost to come out to us as doctors or nurses mm. then to come out with this extra problem that they they want to bring to us so i can imagine that a lot of people would have that extra barrier that they have to break through before they can bring it up yeah yeah definitely now how might a local nurse or gp recognize when one of their LGBTI patients might be experiencing domestic and family violence
0: yeah first and foremost um make yourself aware of what a healthy relationship looks like and what the signs of abusive one might be. So if someone comes in and they're talking about how their partner checks up on them all the time or puts them down and that sort of thing, just being able to recognise those different behaviours as abusive and possibly being domestic violence. There's a really great resource called Say It Out Loud where people can go to. Um, There's resources like relationship checklists that sort of list different behaviours. And I think just being able to get a patient to sort of go through those checklists and things with you might be a good thing. Um, I know for myself, that was a um, really great tool, being able to see on a piece of paper sort of what the different behaviours are and really confirm to you that um, sort of those behaviours aren't acceptable and they are abusive. And then I guess knowing where to go from there, so understand what you can do just for your workplace, you know. Your LGBTIQ clients are going to feel safer according to how visible they feel uh, as an LGBTQ person or how obviously um, LGBTQ friendly a particular person or environment is so it's so important that services like really actively promote the fact that DV happens to LGBTI people um, and whether it's a visual representation on your website or promotional materials a poster in the office or waiting room um, or just clearly stating it on your public facing materials that you know LGBTQ people are victims of DV um, as well. So really just letting people know that it can happen to anyone and that your workplace is a safe place for them to disclose that sort of stuff that can really help them in coming out and uh, talking to you about it. And then
1: for you to know what those signs are and where to go for support is really important. It sounds like sometimes even our our, our patients, our clients, might not recognise that they might be an abusive relationship. One of the things that you mentioned there was the checklist of what a healthy relationship looks like. And when you were talking about that, it almost made me think of sometimes when we're talking to people about smoking or alcohol, um, we get them to list out what are the negative sides of drinking, what are the positive sides of drinking so that they can start to see that actually maybe drinking this much alcohol isn't the best for me. And I think that sort of activity with a healthy relationship checklist sounds like a similar activity that we can do with our patients so that they can start to have those realizations in a safe place with someone who can then provide some support.
0: Yeah definitely and I mean so many times like you hear of people sort of saying you know I thought I was going crazy because they've been with these sort of abusive partners for such a period of time that they're led to believe that they're the crazy one and there's something wrong with them and they're deficient and defective and that sort of thing so it really takes a lot for them A to disclose but then it can also take them a lot to actually believe themselves that, yes, this is an abusive behaviour and they are a victim of domestic violence. So uh, that sort of checklist can be a real uh, eye-opener for a lot of people because it's not till they see all of these different behaviours um, on a sort of list that they can go, oh, sort of, wow, this, this is my life um, and I am in an abusive relationship. And there's no denying it once you actually see it uh, on a piece of paper in front of you.
1: And when we get to that stage, when we have someone who we have started that conversation about being in an an abusive relationship, what are some steps that we as healthcare professionals can then take?
0: Look, depending on what your expertise is or um, how confident you are in dealing with it is, I guess, um, there's lots of different ways. Uh, You can support them yourself if you feel capable of doing so, Um, if you don't feel capable of doing it, um, you can always reach out to different organisations like Say It Out Loud or the Queensland Council for LGBTI Health or Thorn Harbour, depending on what state you're in. And they all run training on how to best support uh, LGBTIQ people that may be experiencing violence. So that can be worthwhile to do. Um, Otherwise, there's resources like safety planning tools, which you can find on the Say It Out Loud website. Um, And that can be something that you can go through with your patient or just refer them to it and that can help them sort of plan for whether it be an uh, exit strategy or just keeping safe if um, an incident was to occur um, and they can store that safety plan remotely then on the Say It Out Loud website. So otherwise, aside from that, I would say just getting them in touch with local um support services that uh, uh, work on DV, get people in touch with 1800RESPECT, which are the 24-hour service for domestic violence for both victims and perpetrators. Um, Otherwise, there is a service called Q Life, which is national, and it runs from 3pm to midnight every day, and that's a peer-to-peer support and referral service for LGBTIQ people. And they can also assist you um, in telling people where to go for support if they need it.
1: Ben, you're doing some incredible work with uh, the organisation LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that is?
0: Yeah, so the foundation was established in 2020 after the success of our uh, LGBTI Domestic Violence Awareness Day. So the foundation was established after that to help end domestic and family and intimate partner violence and abuse in LGBTQ communities and that's done by increasing visibility through an annual awareness campaign, which is on the 28th of May each year. Um, workplaces can get involved, individuals can get involved. Um, we've got the incredible support of Dame Quentin Bryce, who's our patron, um, as well as Commissioner roe Allen, who's the Commissioner for LGBTIQ communities in Victoria. So. Um, That's coming up on the 28th of May. And if people visit the website, which is uh, dvafoundation.org, there's lots of information on there about the foundation and what they can do to um, support LGBTQ people and really be a good visible ally and um, supporter when it comes to domestic and family violence
1: awareness. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today about such an important issue that I think a lot of people don't think about enough. Nor is it all, thanks for having me. Here are my three tips for you to put some pride into your practice today. Number one, relationship checklist. Some people who experience violence may not be at the stage where they see their relationships as abusive. If you're talking to a patient and either of you have concerns, a good place to start is to walk through a relationship checklist. This will ask them yes or no questions so that you can help them reflect on patterns of behavior in their relationships. Check out the relationship checklist I've put in the show notes. Number two, ask for help if you need it. Helping someone who is experiencing abuse can be pretty overwhelming. Sometimes we might not have the skills to help someone through a situation. There are lots of organizations that you can go to for help. Finding them can sometimes be a little tricky, so that's why I've linked the website Say It Out Loud in the show notes. They have some great resources on domestic and family violence specific to LGBTIQ communities, but also a link to find local services. Number three, safety planning. A safety plan is a tool that we can use to provide practical support to people currently affected by domestic and family violence. It will help you to identify the things that your patients are already doing to be safe and build on those strategies, as well as promoting you to think about actions that could be taken to improve their safety into the future. For those experiencing abuse, it's always useful to think about safety, whether the plan is to stay, leave or return to a relationship. Say it out loud has a great safety planning tool that I've linked in the show notes. I'd really encourage you to bookmark all the links in the show notes so that when someone comes in for help, it's only a click away. Thanks for listening to Pride in Primary Care and taking the time to learn a little bit more about LGBTI health. You can stay up to date about future episodes or get in touch via Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the handle Pride in PC. And if you know a health practitioner who might like this podcast, spread the word.